Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. As a journalist, advocate, and professor, Michael Fromm has spent decades engaged with conservation topics and has taken particular interest in America's national parks. He says there's a need for a renewed sense of appreciation and individual responsibility for their care. In his new book, Rediscovering National Parks in the Spirit of John Muir, he discusses park politics, conflicts between use and preservation, and impacts of commercialization. And he proposes a dedicated return to what he says is the true spirit in which the parks were established in the manner of John Muir. Michael Fromm has been a featured columnist in the Los Angeles Times, Field and Stream, American Forests, and Defenders of Wildlife. He's written 22 books, including Battle for Wilderness, then Green Inc., Introduction to Environmental Journalism. In 1995, he retired from the faculty of Western Washington University, where he directed a pioneering program in environmental journalism and writing. Michael Fromm, a pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, so I'd, I'd like to begin with John Muir. Of course, uh, you know, we're familiar with John Muir as, as a pioneer in, in wilderness and, and, and the national parks. Why, uh, why the spirit of John Muir? Why, why make that a central focus here? Because John Muir said of Yosemite, good walkers can go anywhere in these hospitable mountains without artificial ways. And when people go to national parks, they should leave their motoring habits behind and get out and walk. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's the spirit of John Muir. And by the by, I live now in Wisconsin, and John Muir was a boy about 30 miles from me oh. in Otello, Wisconsin. Yeah. And he went from here to Florida, and he called it the thousand-mile walk to the sea. And then he took a a boat to California and went on from there. Mm. I'm a John Muir fan. All right. Uh, Where did you grow up? Where did you call home? I grew up in New York City, believe Ah, it or not. Really? I grew up in the borough of the Bronx and went to school at the northern edge of the Bronx, where it was wooded. But uh, we have a wonderful park in New York called Central Park. It's the envy of the world, Mm. and I'm glad it's there. Now, how did you go from New York City to advocate for for the parks, for wilderness, uh, to to write about conservation for many years? Okay, I, uh, I was a journalist. And I was on the Washington Post, and uh, I I got around some, and I met beautiful people who were park advocates and park believers, true park believers, based on principle, not profit. So that's how how, how I got into it. And I have loved the national parks. And, and and I I wrote the uh, Rand McNamee National Park Guide for 15 years, so that kept me in touch with the national park. Mm. And I, I I love the parks and the people who work for them and the people who visit them. Mm. I'm I'm going to read a bit from your preface. Have you respond to this? Uh, you said okay. Uh, you say, I've watched change. The park system began in the West when areas like Yellowstone and Yosemite were remote. Now the system extends into major American cities, and you list off many cities. The great old parks, once at the edge of civilization, are now easy to reach from wherever you may be. The scenery remains the same, but as the number of visitors increases, the atmosphere of wildness and sense of discovery are modified. Visitors are caught up in suburbia transposed. That seems to me that I, I think <laughs> you're accurate in many cases there, and that's a very important point, isn't it? Uh, suburbia transposed. Is is there a difference in how we're experiencing the parks? Well, you know, you, you go to a national park and you say, "I want a beer, I want a room with a with a television set, I don't want to camp out, I want comfort, I want my cell phone, I want this, I want that." And the profit-making concessioners 
are glad to give it to you uh, at their profit. So there you are. Instead of doing it simple, it gets complex, and uh, and it's not what it should be, mm. in my view. Uh, but uh, I think there are pl- plenty of us who want it right, who want the parks to be wild and, and natural. So how how should it be? What uh, d- tell me about a you know experience the way the way you feel it should be. Well, I I I I I I I think everybody should walk more. Walking is good exercise. It's good for the mind. It's good for the body. Uh, the way you do it now, you see twelve parks in eleven days or 11 parks in 12 days and think you've done it. You go with a camera and you take your pictures. You don't get the feel. But if, but, but if, you, if you go by, 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 by yourself with your wife or, 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 or children and, and you, you, you camp out, you get a different feeling. You get a feeling of I belong here and the earth is... The Earth has its place. Mm. I've uh, talked before in this program about an experience I had a couple summers ago at Zion National Park, and I, I don't mean okay. to don't mean to pick on Zion. And I'm uh, next time I go, I'll go to an off the beaten track area, and I'm sure I'll have a great experience. But I went on the you know the main path, and you get on the bus, and and uh, you know I was crowded in on the bus and on the trail by many of my fellow you know travelers. Sure. And, and I thought I could, you know, I'm less crowded at home. Uh, it was, <laughs> you know, it's beautiful scenery. Well, that's true. And, you know, we need more parks close to home so that people don't have to uh, go across the country to get a wilderness experience, I would say. But I'm glad you went to Zion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great park, and I'm sure there. Are, I'm sure there are places, and people assure me, have assured me, especially if I, after I mention this on the air, that there are some off the beaten track places and some beautiful areas. Uh, and you know, I think everybody needs to take that central trip. You know, at least once in their lifetime down the, the Grand Canyon. Absolutely, uh, and you know, we ought to measure our values in spiritual terms, not material terms. Not how many people went to this park and how much they contributed to the economy of a community, but spiritually, the, the, how it touched their souls and made them awaken to the beauty of the world around us, period. Now you write, uh, this is chapter 33, you say administrators want the parks to be popular, loved. You can understand that. Uh, scientists want the park to be preserved, pure. So there's a conflict there. Absolutely, it's not that the number. Well, it's not the number of people who go there. It's the preservation of wild nature for the next generation that counts most. Hmm. I would say. And you talk about uh, you. It's it's cautionary tale. You talk about a uh, scientist, uh, Adolf Murie. I wonder if you could uh, tell us a bit about him. Adolf Urey worked for the National Park Service as a naturalist. Actually, I knew him. He and his brother Olaus uh, were pioneers in preservation, and he worked for the Park Service. But they didn't, and I and and he wanted it to be. He was up in, in Alaska and uh, wanted uh, that area protected and preserved as God gave it to us. And I'm all for Adolf Murray hmm. and, uh, and, and Olaus. And, and Olaus was married to Margaret Murray, Marty Murray, one of the, who graduated from the University of Alaska, and then uh, uh, came down and was a, a pioneer uh, preservationist. Hmm. So that's what the Murray brothers 
were historic figures. They should be recognized. Hmm. And I do recognize them. Hmm. And uh, I try to hold them up uh, for uh, as exemplars that should be studied in, in, in National Park course, courses. But, but park people are mostly concerned. How do we get more people into the parks? Not how do we... How do we how do we preserve the essence of the parks? We're talking uh, on the program today with uh, Michael Fromm, who, as a journalist, advocate, and teacher, he's spent decades engaged in conservation and America's national parks. He's out with a new book from University of Utah Press, "Rediscovering National Parks in the Spirit of John Muir." You're welcome to join the conversation. Hope that you will. What's been your experience in the national parks? What do you think ought to be done? Uh, where are you on this uh, continuum from uh, use to preservation? 1-800-826-1495 is the toll-free number. And you can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com or also on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Use the hashtag AccessUtah. We'll take a brief break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, maybe the the biggest, you know, the, uh, all the way to the end of the scale on commercialization, um, Mr. Fromm talks about, uh, well, he quotes uh, Joni Mitchell. They paved over paradise and put up a parking lot. He's talking here specifically about a place in Baja, California. And uh, I want to talk uh, about what he calls short-order wilderness. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, Echo Park uh, in eastern Utah and other topics following the break. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. There are many different reasons to get involved in the community. Getting involved can help you connect to others, make new friends, expand your network, and build social skills. Getting involved can also give you a boost of self-confidence, self-esteem, and life satisfaction by giving you a sense of pride and identity. Here are a few suggestions to start getting involved in. Hospitals, libraries, daycare centers, rehabilitation centers, community theaters, historical restorations, animal shelters, sponsoring a local sports team, joining a charity, or hosting a fundraiser, and many, many more. Your ideas can be as creative and unique as the community you serve, so get out there and take action. This is Nicole Jackson with the Be Well program at Utah State University. Remember to live well, work well, and be well. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And the Utah Shakespeare Festival, featuring Henry IV Part II in the Outdoor Shakespearean Theater, as part of the festival experience. More information at bard.org. Longtime environmental journalist Michael Fromm reflects on a lifetime involvement with the national parks in his new book from University of Utah Press. It's called Rediscovering National Parks in the Spirit of John Muir. Michael Fromm says that we should maintain these lands as wild sanctuaries, places where we can find inspiration, solitude, silence, balance, and simplicity. And we're talking about the national parks on Access Utah today. Of course, Utah is blessed with several of the big ones, and uh, national monuments and uh, other areas. Um, in a sense, we're spoiled. Uh, we have talked here on the program before about uh, some problems as well, and uh, we've talked about gateway communities, places such as Springdale and uh, Torrey, perhaps. Um, these places are getting a little too loved. We're talking about uh, trying to find the proper balance. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495, toll-free anywhere you're listening our email is upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter. Use the hashtag AccessUtah. So, Michael Fromm, uh, I'm, uh, this was, <laughs> I was very interested reading this and a little appalled, as you were, that's uh, sort of your attitude, um, in Chapter 32. So you go to, and you're a speaker at the National Park Service Conference on Tourism, and the keynote yes, speaker, yes. the keynote speaker is the executive director of the National Association of Amusement Parks. That's, that, they think a national park is an amusement park, and so do many of the people who work for the National Park Service. 
think their job is to entertain, not to preserve and protect. Uh, so, and, and these were these are Park Service people, right? Uh, who some of them are nodding their heads, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. They want to get ahead. They don't want to preserve and protect. They want to get get to be a GS thirteen and a GS fifteen. If they can uh, produce visitors, visitation numbers, they get promoted. And the the, the the bigger the park, the higher the the higher the grade. But I know people in the park service who are very happy administering a national a small national monument uh, where they can uh, take care of things properly. Uh, let's see. Um, this I'm going to read another passage. This is a, just a, a short paragraph, page 167. Uh, this is what Michael Fromm writes. The, that is what national parks are meant to do, provide contact with living nature and so remind us of the mysterious non-mechanical aspects of the living uh, organism. Are there still places in national parks you can do that? I, I hope so. Oh, yes, there are many, many places. And uh, a number of them are now in the wilderness system. Uh, and not only that, there are historic places uh, that preserve our the history of our great nation in the national parks, and I'm all for that. Now you give. Uh, a... I, yes. I, I remember being up in New England uh, at the, the birthplace of uh, our second president, uh, whatever his name uh, was, uh, John Adams. <laughs> John Adams, and and that uh, the Adams home. Uh, was in the Adams family for many, many years. And the park superintendent, an elderly lady, a lovely lady, she had worked for the Adams family. And I just listened to her and loved it. And another, another place that I, that I loved was, uh, was where the, the Civil War ended in Virginia. And I, to think that we have that preserved and protected as a living fragment of history. That's great. Hmm. Uh, and the same with the Indian sites of the West. We should, we, sh- we, we should do it on a local level, and the parks should, should, should inspire us to take a greater, his- greater interest in our, in our country as, as it has been. And, and make sure that, that the past is not forgotten. Now, in the same chapter, you talked about this uh, experience of the National Association of Amusement Parks, etc. Um, you talk about, and you give this as a cautionary example, this is not in a, in a park, but it's, it's gateway to some beautiful country, uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I, I, my ears perked up when I was reading this, my, I, my eyes, I guess, if they can perk up, um, th- because we have um, and we have friends of uh, Utah Public Radio and in some gateway communities leading to national parks. But you, you talk about Gatlinburg, Tennessee, before and after, and, and you set this up as a cautionary tale. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm the author of a book called Who's... Uh, Strangers in High Places, the story of the Great Smoky Mountains, and uh, and it's a beautiful place and a beautiful park. Park visits are roadless, and you can feel the yesterday. But the town itself has been commercialized to a fault, and I think a park should be an inspiration to local communities to protect and preserve the values that attracted people there in the first place. So I'm glad you brought that up, uh, the the case of Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is a tourist trap, pure and simple, a tourist trap. I'll say it a third time, a tourist trap. Mm. Uh, And I remember the... uh, the uh, former director of the National Park Service, 
Doris Albright, who recommended the uh, addition of the great smokers to the park system. He said of Gatlinburg, I never want to go there again. <laughs> and you also, uh, you cite Gettysburg as well. Well, well, Gettysburg is a great place. It's a shrine. It, uh, I, it's true that people go there and they spend money, but that's not the main reason they go there. They go there to pay homage to the war dead of the great battle of the Civil War. Hmm. And also to hear again the words of uh, Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address. You know, the National Park Service uh, is a collection of shrines of America, and, uh, and, and we should value them as such. Uh, and not put a price tag on everything as as, as we do, uh, I would say. Let's go to... A... I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, I think the media has, has a, a certain responsibility to, uh, to help uh, recognize the values of our, of our shrines like the National Park. Mm-hmm. And make sure they are preserved and protected, period. Let's go to a uh, caller. Uh, Jamie has called us from St. George. Uh, Jamie, glad you called. Go ahead. Yes, I'd like to add to the the author's um, opinion on the mission of the National Park Service. I had a very sobering experience um, this spring as a disabled person who has um, been visiting Zion Park for the last 40 years living in St. George, I've, as I become more and more disabled, I've found that there is very little opportunity for a disabled person to visit Zion and to experience what the gentleman is talking about, the, the spiritual essence of the solitude um, my hero um, is Wallace Digner and the things that he talked about and there's so little opportunity for a disabled person it, it, you're, you're almost confined to the visitor center and the museum so I spent a great deal of time and thought writing a letter to Zion National Park I sent it to three different people there about for the 100th anniversary in 2019, what about a historic pathway that's universally accessible? There are no universally accessible pathways or trails in Zion. And use as a theme, a historic theme, wilderness and using markers and audios um, for handicapped people. Um, the the concept of wilderness so that they too could experience even on a maybe a square half mile pathway and as I say it was a rather sobering experience because I sent it to three different officials in Zion and they didn't write back and say thank you but no thank you they didn't write back and say this is the time and the place they did not respond at all and I was deeply hurt by that. So thank you for listening. Thanks, Jamie. I appreciate that. Uh, what, what about that, Michael, from uh, Jamie? Well, Jamie wants to experience this. But, well, we're uh, all disabled one way or another, really. And I am at this point in my life 95 years old. So I can't climb or hike as as much as I used to, but that doesn't mean that I can't love open space and privacy and aloneness. Uh, I've been alone in many, many places in the Park Service and out of it, and I appreciate that very much. I'm so glad she called 
What was her name? Jamie. Jamie, Jamie called, and uh, uh, we have to recognize the rights of the disabled, and and uh, the, the longer the country goes on, the more disabled people we have, and so we 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 need to provide for them, and the park service should be a leader and. Uh, and not a follower, and uh, if you wrote three letters, you should have had three replies. And uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called, very, very glad you, you called. And the parks belong to the, to the disabled as well as the abled. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to go around in, in automobiles, or that we have to travel as much. Uh, you can stand in one place and see the universe, or feel the universe. And so uh, I'm glad you called, and I hope that somebody in the Park Service will take up the issue and, 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 and give you a meaningful response to your plea. Thank you. Thank, thanks, James. Uh, thanks. Uh, uh, and as a matter of fact, you know, uh, you may be the only call that I'm getting on this show. I don't know. Hmm. But I'm glad you called, and I thank you. And, uh, Jamie, I, I hope you at least get a response back. That's, uh, I think those are excellent ideas that you're putting forward. Um, I want to uh, let me just uh, reset the scene here. If you just joined us, we're talking about national parks. The book is Rediscovering National Parks in the spirit of John Muir. The author is Michael Fromm, who is a journalist, advocate and uh, teacher and uh, author of uh, several books, including uh, uh, including um, Green Ink, an introduction to environmental journalism, the battle for wilderness and many other books. This book is out from University of Utah Press. You can join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495, toll free. And uh, our email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're on Twitter as well. Use the hashtag AccessUtah. Michael Farmer, I want to get, jump into politics, and uh, we're, we're familiar with the battles over wilderness and land use here in Utah. They, they, they go on almost constantly. Um, I, I wonder uh, if we could talk about uh, something that's ripped from the headlines. Uh, Steve in Beaverdam, Arizona, sent this to me. This is a New York Times article um, in which uh, the, the writer uh, praises President Obama for taking some, as he sees it, belated action in, in, in terms of conservation. But he, uh, he talks about an interesting um, kind of a dilemma in Idaho, where uh, uh, Congressman Simpson has been working on a wilderness bill uh, for quite some time, and that now passed. And the writer thinks it's because the constituents there in Idaho are afraid that President Obama is going to use his powers under the Antiquities Act to create a much larger national monument than this wilderness designation. Um, and, and so that's kind of an interesting, you know, mix of mix of politics. You write a lot about well, political was, battles here. I was on the faculty at the University of Idaho, and I must say we have set aside some really great areas in Idaho including the Frank Church Rural of, no, of No Return. And we've had great leaders like Frank Church committed to long-term historic values rather than short-term profit. So, um, and the same goes for Utah, uh, our neighboring state. Uh, uh, I, I, I think the letter is good, and uh, the point is well taken. I think you have a lot of good folks, both in Idaho and Utah, who want to preserve and protect the wildness that is ancient and old. Mm. So be of good cheer, and let's save the best of it. Now, on the other side... We hear from uh, a lot of folks here in Utah. There, there are a lot of people who 
don't want to lock it up, as they say, as they characterize it. They they want to take the motorized vehicles. They want to uh, they want to do you know multi-use. Um, and so those powerful forces. How it, it, if you're on the side of uh, you know preservation, how how to get that done in today's well, age? Well, I'm going to appeal to the best in people <clears throat> and to support us in in the preservation movement, both <clears throat> in Idaho and Utah. wonderful quality of life out there and let's keep it by maintaining the balance between development and pro- and preservation I wonder if we could talk just a little bit about um, how people experience the parks and we've talked a little bit about that earlier in the program and I think that maybe has changed over time I, I think I'm detecting more people who want to just get out of the car, experience something briefly, get back in the car, and, you know, go somewhere true. else. That is true. That There's a lot in what you say. Uh, but I find that American people, by and large, are thoughtful, considerate, concerned. Uh, I have my own physical issues, but I have many times people who walk across the street with me and open the door for me and do every and and I go to a, a, a pet shop and I see people loving their dogs and cats and birds and taking care of them. So let's work on the best of it, and 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 aside from the commercial values that go with it, or that that seem to dominate, as they do in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and in other park communities elsewhere, and let's work on the best in people, and not the commercial values of the park. Let's take another break. We'll come back with our last segment following this. We're talking with Michael Fromm. He is a longtime conservation advocate. He's been a featured columnist for Los Angeles Times, Field and Stream, American Forest, Defenders of Wildlife. Uh, he's uh, written 22 books. His latest book is out from University of Utah Press. It's called Rediscovering National Parks in the Spirit of John Muir. And we'll talk more following the break. What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org. Ask any parent, how do you answer that question? The question that reminds you, you have no idea what you're doing. And then she said, but how does it happen when a man and woman are together? Like, does the man just say, is now the time to take off my pants? (laughs) And I said, yes. Succeeding as an amateur, that's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Sunday afternoon at 3 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. Rediscovering the National Parks in the Spirit of John Muir. That's the title of a new book from a longtime uh, conservationist and uh, journalist advocate professor Michael Fromm. And we're talking about uh, his advocacy for maintaining these lands as wild sanctuaries, places where we can find inspiration, solitude, silence, balance, and simplicity. He says uh, he sees a need for a renewed sense of appreciation and individual responsibility for care of the national parks. We want to know what you think. 1-800-826-1495 is our toll-free number. You can reach us at upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter as well. Let me read, uh, here's a passage from John Muir 
get your reaction uh, to this. Uh, John Muir says, Climb the mountains and get their good tidings. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine flows into trees. The winds will blow their freshness into you and the storms their energy, while cares will drop off like autumn leaves. It's a beautiful passage from John Muir. I've experienced that. I think many of our people listening have experienced that. You, Michael Frum, have experienced that. But uh, I want to frame this question. Is You're now 95, and uh, I, I, how, how do you experience Dude. these things now <laughs> at, at your advanced age? I, I can't hear. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Um, I, I just said that. So you you get to spiritual fulfillment from uh, you know from from these places. Can, can you hear me? I can hear you. You can hear me. Uh, so I, I, I read this passage from John Muir. He he got spiritual fulfillment from you know from these wild places, and and you have as well. But I'm wondering now at age 95, how do you? How do you get that spiritual fulfillment? Where where do you go? You mentioned you you know I don't know you go to the local park. Do you get up into the mountains? What to, how do you experience this nowadays? Well, I tell you, I'm married to a preacher, so we do a lot of time in prayer, and I pray to God for guidance, for help, for support and for encouragement, and uh, that helps. And when I go, I, I, I live in a treehouse surrounded by, 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 by growing uh, life, and I, 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 even right now as we speak, I'm looking out my window at these trees all around me, and I'm thankful for them that they were put there by a force more powerful than my own force. And I'm grateful for all that I see here. And so, and and furthermore, what I'm trying to do right now at age 95 is to encourage young people uh, to do their best and their most for the common good and never mind the commercial values that, that seem to dominate our society. They really don't matter in the long run. What matters in the long run is what you do for somebody else and do for nature, period. Mm. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, I wonder if you could uh, talk about... uh, I can't hear you. uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, great. We'll, We'll try to keep my level high so you can hear me there. We just okay. had, uh, a- a- as you probably uh, know, from we, there was a bear attack in uh, Yellowstone recently. Uh, uh, unfortunately, a man died. Um, this, this highlights, you know, the 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 dangers out there. There's there's a lot we can get from. Hey, there were dangers crossing the street. Mm-hmm. So there were dangers crossing the street. Why single out the bears of Yellowstone? That is their country. And when we go there, we go to to share it with them or to be partners with them and to be grateful uh, for a system that protects the bears. Mm. Now, the plan is to to destroy the bear if they, you know, they they catch it. Uh, What do you think about that? What do I think of what? Uh, about uh, they're going to kill the bear if they, you know, they find the the the, the bear in, in question. I don't think they should kill the bears. I think they should honor the bears and protect the bears. Uh, it's it's it's. I think it's a uh, commentary on the training that they get in uh, in. Uh, universities that uh, that uh, 
that the volume of visitors counts most. It doesn't count most. What counts most is what we have saved for the future. And uh, let's save more of it, I say. Mm. Now, uh, so is that, do you think that's one of the biggest threats then? Overuse? And pumping up the volume of visitors? How do we yeah, counteract that? Overuse is a big threat. Uh, you can't get as much out of it when you're in a crowd as you can when you stand alone before nature and say, here I am, uh, listen to me, and I will listen to you. Hmm. And the same thing goes goes with our historic places, uh, such as uh, the Washington Monument and uh, Mount Vernon. Uh, I think you want to move slowly and thoughtfully and gratefully that we have a government in the United States that has saved our treasured places for the good of our generation and generations to come. Uh, is a wife entitled to chime in? Uh, yes, go, yes, I didn't know you were there. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. Well, um, um, I would. I just wanted to say about this bear situation. Um, in Michael's book, there is a section that he has dedicated to that whole issue about the bears and the wildlife and so on. And it seems so interesting to me that instead of conditioning and training um, human beings to know how to coexist with their other partners in nature, um, that we seem to think that we have to, if bears get in our way when we invade that wonderful balance of, of uh, the wild existence and survival over how many, how many eons, um, that somehow we couldn't section a part of that area that is totally set aside for no roads, for no intrusion, um, and then if they need to have some kind of a ride in the bus around and stay in the lodge and uh, <laughs> have another section that's for human beings, but to respect uh, that that these species are going to be disappearing and that we're we're in such a uh, you know we, we want to get a gun and shoot them like this this African situation with the dentist mm. in mm-hmm. Minnesota that went over to get his trophy. Um, it, it just uh, it just feels that um, we're just heading for for um, more and more collision about rights and more and more understanding that we are not at the top of the of the line here we are finding over and over and over again how intelligent and how amazing so many uh, levels of of the creators balance i mean this, i don't think it was just an accidental big bang i think that there is an extremely well um, orchestrated balance that we totally override, don't you? Mm. So you're 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 advocating for stewardship then, and uh, management. No, I'm asking for um, understanding the interdependency between the various levels. You know, whether it be the ant hill or whether it be the whales, mm. mm-hmm. uh, that we are not in charge. Yeah. It is not ours to exploit or manage or buy and sell or develop, um, but rather to learn from the natural patterns and life of, of the total spectrum of the planet's survival. Uh, we aren't going to, poor little Mother Earth, we're just stretching her to the extremities. Mm. Well, and that's what national parks 
are meant to do, to teach us to respect the natural way. Here's an email from uh, Beatrice in uh, Price. Uh, she says, my husband and I are currently preparing to embark on a tour of uh, a few national parks, but our love for the national parks has us questioning how much officials should intervene in order to protect the land. In effort to preserve the land, are we altering the land too much? In a way, are we making amusement park-like national parks and therefore, uh, thereby pre- preventing visitors from truly experiencing nature? Well, there's a lot in that, and we should not make the national parks like amusement parks, but wild and natural so that people can say, I have now gone back to the beginning and I feel uplifted by it. I think the point is well taken. Mm-hmm. I just have a couple minutes left. I wonder uh, here at the end, uh, Mr. Brown, if you can... Talk a little bit more to us about John Muir, the influence John Muir has has been in your life. Well, <laughs> and that's a very good question. I, I hope that my book may generate interest in the life of John Muir. He was born in Scotland, came to Wisconsin as a boy, uh, went to California, and uh, curiously, his writing is so beautiful and adventurous. And uh, I, 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 uh, I hope that that I can help to make his uh, boyhood home here at Otello, Wisconsin, a a national uh, a national place of interest, and that people will come and learn more about John Muir, and uh, read his books. They're just marvelous. It's amazing that he wrote so well uh, uh, without a typewriter. And read his book about Stikine. Stikine was a, was a dog that he befriended and traveled with in Alaska, and he was fearless and uh, and really great. Uh, uh, he tried to stop the building of a dam in Yosemite, and was heartbreak broken when when the government built it. Now, uh, folks out there are trying to get the dam removed from uh, that particular dam removed. I'm Yosemite, and I support them. We have a caller. We'll try to, uh, to fit her in here at the end. Uh, Betty in Washington County. Glad you called. Go ahead. Yes, yes. I love John Muir. I've loved everything I've ever read about him. A little book I want to uh, bring out is called Stickeen, S-T-I-C-K-E-E-N. It's about a little dog that accompanied John Muir on a glacial um, trek in Alaska. And it I is have that book. book. It is I love fabulous. That book. It's full Wonderful. of very dangerous adventure and uh, poignancy. Um, I really hope that everyone will try to get a hold of Stikine. You can also you. You find you. it on uh, uh, Nook Readers. Okay. Or, you know, oh, great. Electronic Readers. Thank you. But anyway, it's by John Muir, and it's about his adventure in Alaska. And <laughs> believe me, he was pretty foolhardy in his day. <laughs> gotcha. Well, thank thank okay, you, buddy, for that. Thank you. In, thank you. And we'll fit. We'll, we'll try to put in uh, Tom in in Vernal. Is it? Uh, yeah. I just wanted to say about bears. If we want to keep bears in the wild with us, occasionally one is going to kill one of us. But I've got to say that I think in that case they should be killed, not in anger, not because it's guilty, but because they become kind of a martyr to their species because. They only live by the tolerance and the sufferance of the humans around them. So if we want to keep things like saltwater crocodiles and tigers out there, I think the only way human beings will tolerate it is if we take out the ones that kill us innocently. So you're, uh, well, that's your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. So, so, Tom, you're, you're saying that this is, you're, you're, you're not in total agreement with, you know, but, but, it, but if it does happen... You're saying this is a, a, a 
kill it as a statement? Is that what you're saying? Kill the bear as a statement? Yeah, well, you know, you won't find a stronger supporter of bears and wilderness than me, but I think that the political reality is that the human beings uh, will only support tigers or saltwater crocodiles or bears if they think that if one does kill a human being, that that one is taken out. I think it's a cold, hard political reality. Okay, so political, okay. Uh, What do you think, Michael Frum? Well, I wouldn't. I don't believe in that. I don't agree with them. But but he's given some thought to it, and I'm glad he did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't want to kill a tiger. I don't want. I don't want to be the guy who pulls pulls the trigger on a tiger or a grizzly bear. I want mm-hmm. them to live. Yeah. Uh, just have a couple of minutes uh, left here. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we have a couple of minutes. We left. do. We do. Uh, well, we we. We have a couple more minutes because we're going to change. Yeah, <laughs> is that a Utah phrase? <laughs> I I wasn't aware of that as a Utah phrase. We'll have to uh, include that in our next language program. Uh, so, uh, Mrs. Brom, are you still there? Yes. What, what's what's your first name? What's my business? What, what's, uh, your, what's your first name? <laughs> I'm June. June. I'm okay. June. Glad glad to Actually, talk to you. Actually, June June Eastbold. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to what get... do I do? Well, I just wrote a book myself called oh, okay. um, Boys on the Porch, which is about homeless people. Oh, okay. I write, and um, I work with the New Wind Folk School. We're just doing a, a big thing here. They're knocking down Harry's, which has been here for 80 years, oh, too bad. Um, to build a condo. And so the little town here is having a big hurrah for Harry's. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> um, we're We're... Um, I just think you're wonderful. I think you did a wonderful time here with us in your interview. Thank you. Well, we we appreciate you joining us. Uh, so that's yeah. uh, June Frum, and we've been talking with uh, Michael Frum, author of the new book from University of Utah Press, Rediscovering National Parks in the Spirit of John Muir. That's out from University of Utah Press. Uh, the conversation can continue. We hope that it will. If you have a further comment, just uh, go to our website, upr.org. You can also comment to our Access Utah website, upraxcess at gmail.com. And uh, thanks so much for uh, listening today. You want the best of both political worlds? Try running for president while being an active member of Congress. So as long as they have excellent staffs, both in their district and in Washington, the overwhelming majority of their work can still get done, even if they're on the presidential campaign trail. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Yeah, that's a pretty good setup. We'll tell you more about it next time on Marketplace from APM. Tonight at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. Coming up, we'll meet a member of the bass section of the New York Philharmonic. David Grossman loves the sound and the sensation of the bass. Feeling the instrument vibrate under me and those low frequencies can actually be quite thrilling. David Grossman on the art of practicing his double bass on the next Performance Today from APM. Monday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Science at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. The time now is 10 o'clock.